it was a Sunday morning, December 7th, 1941, and it was really early in the morning at 7.55 that the United States was attacked at Pearl Harbor. And while uh, most of the sailors and the military personnel were still asleep, the J- Japanese attacked with sudden and deadly force. And when it was over, 21 American ships had sank, and close to 3,000 American service men and, and civilians had lost their lives. Uh, the USS Arizona had a torpedo hit its munition storage, which exploded, and it sank in nine minutes, killing the 1,177 sailors aboard. You know, it was a devastating attack. And the reason why it was so devastating is because we weren't ready for it. You know, at that time, Americans knew that there was a war being waged in Europe by uh, Hitler and his German forces, but at home, America's, Americans were divided. They were, we were undecided uh, because some of us felt like it was uh, Hitler was Europe's problem and that we had no reason to get in the fight. Uh, what we didn't know at the time was uh, that as Japan was sending uh, special envoys of, of peace to Washington to talk peace, they were secretly al- allying and planning with uh, the, the Germans, and uh, they were planning this, this attack on Pearl Harbor. It was meant to seriously cripple our naval capabilities in the Pacific. Uh, and though uh, we tried to stay out of it, they brought the fight to us. And you may remember this verse from last week if you were here. Uh, Doug used it in Romans 12:18. Paul says, uh, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And I'm not trying to split hairs, but I can tell you that I think America tried to live at peace with Japan until they attacked us at Pearl Harbor. But on December 8th, the day after Pearl Harbor, uh, there was no question in Americans, any Americans' minds. There was uh, no more division, uh, disunity. We knew we were in a fight. And uh, Paul knew that it wouldn't always be possible to live at peace, especially when someone brings a fight to you. Japan delivered a devastating blow at Pearl Harbor, but it wasn't the crushing blow that they had desired. And uh, Congress did declare war, and America began to fight back. And uh, America went on to defeat the enemy, and they used a rallying cry of, Remember Pearl Harbor. And I just want to take the time to say that your enemy has delivered some pretty devastating attacks in your life. You know what they are. I'm just here to say that though they were devastating, they weren't crushing. As long as you draw breath, you still have the ability to fight. And you can go on to have victory with Jesus Christ. Because we are in a war, and it's a spiritual war. It's an invisible war. It's a war against sin. In uh, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus himself uh, tells the disciples in verse 34, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And when I looked that word sword up in the, in the, in the Greek dictionary, it was used regularly as a metaphor for war. So Jesus is telling the disciples that he comes to bring war. Not because that's what he desired, but because people choose to either follow Christ or themselves. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, are y'all not getting any of these verses? No? Okay. Well, y'all just listen to me. Ephesians 6, verse 12. Paul says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. And he says, Our struggle. That's us, followers of Christ. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So my question to you is, are you in this fight? If you're not sure, then maybe today is the day that you enlist and join in this fight. 
The first thing that any soldier has to do, I was in the military, and the first thing I had to do was enlist. I had to sign my name on the line. In the fourth chapter of Matthew, uh, we can read about Jesus calling the 12 disciples. Jesus enlists the disciples with two words. He simply says to follow me, and they did. In verse 18 of Matthew chapter 4, I'll just read it to you. Walking along the beach of Lake Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon later called Peter and Andrew. They were fishing, throwing their nets into the lake, and it was their regular work. I like how they, in that, in that version, they threw that in there. It was a, they were doing their regular task. And Jesus said to them, come with me. I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you, and I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. And in verse 20, they said, they didn't ask any questions, but simply dropped their nets and followed. If you haven't picked a side in this fight, would you stop what you're doing? Would you drop your nets? And would you follow Jesus? In our movie clip today, let's look and see if uh, we can get some insight on how we can join this fight. The German Luftwaffe relentlessly bombards downtown London. While Churchill's Royal Air Force is in a deadly struggle to maintain control of the British skies. Reporting for duty, sir. Good. We'll get you settled into your quarters. And then introduce you to the crate you'll be flying. Yes, sir. Well, uh, y'all are patching up bullet holes right here on the runway. Maybe we ought to skip the housekeeping and get me right into the airport. Two didn't come back, sir. We counted only 11. as anxious as you to get themselves killed, pilot officer. Not anxious to die, sir. Just anxious to matter. This is yours. Good chap. Didn't die till he'd landed and shut down his engine. Seated, gentlemen. I'm afraid I'm in a bad mood. Churchill and Stalin are asking me what I'm asking you. How long is America going to pretend the world is not at war? We've increased food and oil supply shipments to them, Mr. President, and as far as I know... What they really need are tanks, planes, bullets, bombs, and men to fight. But our people think Hitler and his Nazi thugs... Are Europe's problem. We have to do more. Send the Brits and Russians more of our ships and anti-aircraft weapons. And keep cannibalizing the Pacific Fleet? What choice do we have? We're building refrigerators. While our enemies build bombs. <laughs>
挑まれた戦いは戦うしかない紀州高原ならば彼らが向こう数年かかっても再起不能なほどの致命的な打撃を与えることができる果たしてそのような打撃を与えることができるだろうか一度の奇襲攻撃で敵太平洋艦隊は絶滅されるはずだ真珠湾で Ben Affleck's character is Lieutenant Rafe McCauley and he was a pilot in the Army Air Corps and in this clip America wasn't yet committed to uh, the war in Europe Uh, but somehow that this American pilot had found himself right smack in the middle of it. Uh, and the reason is because he volunteered for an assignment in Europe uh, because he wanted to stand for his country. Everybody watching that clip knew that there was planning on both sides. There was a war. The, the Japanese said it was inev inevitable. Uh, and so Rafe McCauley, Lieutenant Rafe McCauley, was, he wanted to get in the fight. He was the kind of guy that took the fight to the enemy. And as a man that, a man that grew, up, grew up watching Clint Eastwood and Chuck Norris, I, I got to admire a guy like that. Chuck. But to be honest, I've always admired guys like that, but I, I, I don't resemble guys like that. Uh, as much as I, I like that about Lieutenant Rafe McCauley, I was nothing like him. And the reason is because when it comes to fighting sin in my life, I pretty much ran from all those fights. Um, better yet, I, I didn't even really put up a fight. There was no fight. And uh, unlike the lieutenant here, I didn't stand for anything. I hid behind alcohol and friends that were stupid enough to think I was cool. Do you guys have any friends like that? I, d I spent a lot of time and energy uh, trying to argue and rationalize my way out of having to follow God until one day I found myself losing this one battle that I really didn't want to lose. And I was losing my marriage. On the day that I asked uh, my wife for a divorce, I realized for the first time that I had tried to fight on every side except the winning side. On that day, I had enough of being defeated and beaten down by my sin, and I turned to God, and he said to me, follow me. Jesus calls us to follow him. What's been your response? Look at Matthew chapter 4 again. Let's look at what the disciples did. They didn't ask questions. They simply dropped their nets and followed Jesus. The idea here is that the two disciples, they were doing something when Jesus asked them to follow him. And they had their nets in the water. When, and, and Jesus says, follow me. They dropped their nets. I just ask you again, would you drop your nets and follow Jesus? Whatever it is that's preoccupying you, keeping you from committing your life to Jesus, could you just drop it and follow him? I just want to say, if you hadn't made that decision today, that's what I ask you. And if you want to have victory in your life, then you've got to get on the right side. And uh, our clip that we just watched, the lieutenant, he was uh, eager to join the fight. Uh, I don't know if you caught it where that British commander asked him if uh, all Yanks were eager to die. And uh, the lieutenant said, I'm not anxious to die, I'm just anxious to matter. What would happen if you and I, who have chosen to follow Christ, would at the very least be anxious to matter, who just would be anxious to matter to his kingdom, to matter to his agenda. 
Because most of the time we're anxious to matter to our jobs. We're anxious to matter to our friends. And we neglect the things of God. Roosevelt asked his staff, how long are we going to pretend that there's no war? And I ask you, how long are you going to pretend that there's no war? And uh, I didn't give you any uh, listening guys, but if you have a pen, you should write this down because this is an important verse. In Luke 11, verse 23, Jesus says, He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Now, scattered is an accurate depiction of my life up until I enlisted on the side of Christ. Does it describe you? Because in war, nobody sits on a fence. You've got to choose a side. I want to take the time to talk about those disciples that Jesus enlisted because I'm just imagining the things that, um, that kept me from following Christ were the same things that maybe keep you from following Christ. You know what some of the pre-qualifications that the disciple had when Jesus asked them to follow him? They didn't have any. Well, they had all this, this one thing in common. They were sinners. But if you're thinking that you have to clean your life up before you follow Christ, well, you're wrong. And if you think that you've got to uh, quit that immoral relationship before you follow Christ, you're wrong. If you think that you have to deal with that porn addiction or drug addiction or alcohol addiction before you follow Christ, you're wrong. And if you think that you have to have the entire Bible memorized before you follow Christ, you're wrong. Whatever it is that you're doing, you've got to pick a side. Jesus is calling you right now to follow Him. And all you've got to do is say yes. When you follow Jesus, then you can begin to have these victories in these areas of your life. You can even uh, win those battles that you're really losing because I know four years after I asked Jesus to lead my life, still married to the same woman that I asked for a divorce. Amen. I nearly lost her until I got on the right side of the fight. And today I try to use my marriage to honor God daily. So if you're tired of losing fights, what are you going to do today? I said that I was in the military and I remember distinctly what happens after you enlist. Nobody forgets that. Boot camp. And as a Christian, we kind of enter into the same kind of phase of training after we've been listening to the uh, family of God through Jesus Christ. We have to go uh, and, and train. Did you know that Jesus spent about three years training his disciples? These, uh, these guys were, they were going to become the pillars of the church, the foundation, the fathers of the church, and, G- and Jesus trained them. So we're going to take some time this morning to talk about training, the training that we might need. But we're going to watch the next clip first. Hudson, hut! Attention on deck! Admiral Kimmel, Commander-in-Chief, Pacific Fleet, on deck! Sharp presentation, Captain. Thank you, Admiral Kimmel. For four months now, Washington has been blowing pink smoke about the threat from Japan. Could make us lose our fighting edge. I'm determined not to let that happen. With your permission, Captain, Admiral, urgent from Washington. I'm supposed to keep this fleet battle ready to take on the Japanese, cover half the globe. Now they want me to transfer another 12 destroyers to the Atlantic. Don't they know what we're facing out here? They feel Europe is the greater danger, Admiral. I'm assuming these risk assessments include Hawaii. Well, Pearl Harbor is too shallow for an aerial torpedo attack, and we're surrounded by subnets. All we have to worry about here is sabotage. 
so we bunched our planes together to make them easier to protect. Distance is our ally, Admiral. You analysts got it all figured out, don't you? A smart enemy hits you exactly where you think you're safe. The Admiral says that uh, a smart enemy will attack you where you think you're the safest. You got to know that's how smart your enemy is. That's why we have to have some training. If you, you, you're going to get in this fight, you have to develop a battle-ready mindset. And uh, in First Peter, the Bible tells us in First Peter chapter one, uh, verses thirteen and fourteen. So prepare your minds for service and have self-control. All your hopes should be the gift should be for the gift of grace that will be yours when Jesus Christ has shown you. Now that you are obedient children of God, do not live as you did in the past. You did not understand, so you did the evil things you wanted. We have to prepare our minds for service. Uh, we can no longer live as we once did. One of the first things that uh, they do to you in, in military boot camp is uh, they kind of strip away your individuality and they conform you to the unit. And that's what God wants to do to you. He wants to conform you to the image of Christ. Did you notice at the beginning of that clip, all those uh, sailors, they were dressed alike? There was no question in anybody that was looking at that that they all fought on the same side, right? Uh, so why is there so many questions when people look at Christians and wonder what side we're fighting on? If uh, It's funny. When I think when I went to boot camp, one of the first things that uh, they did was uh, when we got off the bus, they had us get all the, our baggage from, from uh, underneath the bus, and they lined us up uh, down the side of the bus, and um, there was a lot of yelling going on. And I don't know, I, I kind of, when you yell at me that much, I kind of just kind of fall back into this mode of thinking where I'm just on autopilot and, and whatever you're yelling me to do, I'm going to do. Well, there was a bunch of drill instructors there and there were some yelling at us to drop our bags. We'd drop our bags. Some of them would yell at us to pick them up. We'd pick them up. The other one would yell to drop your bags again. We'd drop them. The other one would yell. And they just kept going back and forth. And it was, I have no idea how long it was. It felt like forever. But, uh, at the time, I thought they were just kind of having fun with us and making fun of us. Uh, but looking back now, I, I can see where, what they were doing. They were, um, they were preparing our minds for service. They were instilling in us a sense of alertness, a sense of urgency. Uh, they were creating a, an awareness to respond to commands. So that's one of the first things that you have to do as a Christian when you join this fight. Is you've got to be alert and ready. Because an alert mind is a prepared mind. The best way that you can prepare your mind is to open up the Word of God and read it. 
Another thing that they did uh, to us in, in boot camp is they familiar, familiarize you with your weapons. And as a Christian, you may not realize how many weapons that you have available to you. And in, uh, in Ephesians 6, Paul, he describes them the best when he uses the illustration of a soldier. And we're going to kind of walk through these. In verse 14, he says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So maybe you're thinking that sounds cool, but what does it mean? Uh, we'll just walk through it and we'll explain it to you. In verse 14, he says, stand firm. You know, basically it just means to not yield, to not give any ground. Uh, when uh, he talks about the belt of truth, what do belts do? Hold your pants up so you're not tripping over them when you're fighting. Really, uh, the, the belt of truth will hold together that uniform you wear when you're conforming to the image of Christ. And just as a soldier dons his uniform, as we saw in the, in the clip, that represents his country, we should don on and wear the belt of truth around us to represent Christ. So what is a breastplate, breastplate of righteousness? I don't know what a breastplate is. A breastplate of righteousness that's what we're going to talk about. What do they do? Well, a breastplate is like uh, nowadays they'd wear a Kevlar jacket with steel plates in them. It protects your heart and your vital organs. Uh, what we need to do is to guard our hearts. Knowing that you're right with God because of Jesus Christ will guard your heart. Don't let anybody tell you that, uh, that Jesus Christ wasn't enough for you to uh, become a, a member of the family of God. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Well, what does that mean? That just means to be prepared to, to do the will of God, to spread the message of Christ. In verse 16, he says, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You see, it's our trust in God that gets us through temptations. When you're being tempted by sin, it's so easy to believe Satan's lies because we do it all the time. We believe the lies of uh, that, that Satan tells us that's going to be fun and exciting. You want to believe that it'll make you feel better. You want to believe that if you just give into that temptation of that sin, into that temptation one more time, then I'll, for some reason you'll be quenched and, and be through with it. Your desire will, will be quenched. Those are all lies. Our faith in Jesus carries us through because we believe in His Word. Uh, when the Bible says that sin leads to death, we believe it. That's faith. Believing in the promises of God. In verse 17, he talks about the helmet. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Well, the helmet guards your head. And uh, as a soldier, uh, guarding your head is, is a very important thing to do because that's where your mind is. And your mind directs your body. If you could uh, just grab hold of the hope of salvation and wear it like a helmet to protect your mind, you'll not easily be, be taken into these lies of Satan or into false religion or false teaching and doctrine. You see, Satan wants you to feel like you've blown it. He wants you to believe that it's too late. Why should you bother? But Jesus has promised you hope. So just wear it like a helmet, like a, like a soldier would wear it. The sword of the Spirit, that's the Word of God. It's, uh, 
it, it, we have to remember in this fight against sin, you can use the Word of God. You can use it to uh, defend yourself. You can use it to, uh, to attack. You can, you can use it, most importantly, to put to death your sinful self. But you have to open it up and you have to read it. Because if you don't, if you go home today and you let your Bible collect more dust at home, you won't have any offensive weapon in this fight. You can try to kill your sinful desire with your bare hands, and all I can say is good luck with that. Because when I gave my life to Christ, I didn't automatically lose my desire for sin. I struggled with it every day. Some days were good, some days were bad. Uh, and in the end, it was the Word of God that pierced my heart like a sword. It convicted me, and it also it told me how to deal with it. For example, I used to have a real bad struggle with pornography. I mean, I, I tried everything within my own power to get out, to get over that, and it, nothing worked. But I learned in Celebrate Recovery what the Word of God says. And it said, I had to confess that sin to someone else that I trusted and so that person could pray for me, so that I could be healed. And I know you're thinking, Jason, I don't want anybody to know anything like that about me. I just say, fine. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. I'm telling you what worked for me. If if you want to have victory, that's what you got to do. I say, don't be so concerned with other, with other people. Other people think of you because God already knows what you've done. He just wants you to take ownership of it. He wants you to deal with it. I want to remind you what Jesus quoted from every time Satan tempted him. He said, "It is written. It is written." He quoted from the Bible every time. And every time Satan tempts you, you can do the same thing. And the last thing that Paul lists, uh, referring to the soldier, is in verse 18. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Think of prayer like this. How important would it be for a soldier in the field to keep in communication with headquarters or his commanding officer? It's pretty important, right? How effective is a, a bunch of soldiers that are cut off from, from their commanding officers out in the field? They can't call in for uh, reinforcements. They can't call, you know how they can call in airstrikes here and then progress on the field and move forward? That's what you should think of prayer. Uh, and to be honest with you, it's in this area that I was the most convicted of when I was preparing for this. Because, you know, I get it. I know we're busy people. I've got four kids. I know, I know what busy is. And I'll tell you, sometimes I get up in the morning and, uh, my brain's just not working right. It's all I can do just to walk to the shower and climb in, and then I start praying and gurgling water and thinking I, I, I'm, I'm really praying these prayers like this. You know, God, I don't even want to pray to you right now. I don't know what's wrong with me. But you know what I do? I just keep pushing forward and push and push and push. And before I leave for work, my mind's working right. Uh, uh, my heart is right before God, and I can't stop praying. I think that's what praying in the Spirit is. It's a... Uh, it's about the Spirit of God helping you when you don't feel like it. It's about the Spirit of God helping you when you don't know what to pray for. All you got to do is start it. And if you and I are going to be fighting on the same side, you know, I'd really like you praying for me. I'd like to be praying for you. And as a church, we could be praying for this community. And uh, we all could rejoice when we see a lost person walk through those doors and give their life to Christ. Since uh, we spent some time talking about weapons of warfare, that's, that's always fun for men to talk about, uh, we do need to take a minute to uh, talk about something that's very important. If we're going to be armed with all these weapons, we've got to know our battle tactics. 
we've been using the illustration of a soldier to kind of understand uh, how we can take our stand against Satan and, uh, and sin. But when it comes to people, remember this, that we have no business going out there chopping folks' heads off. That's not what our job is. When it comes to sin, by all means, chop away. But when it comes to people that are lost, we need to be careful about our tactics. Now, no one ever got me interested in Jesus Christ by casting their eyes down at me. The Bible says in Romans 12, 20 and 21, If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them a drink. For by doing this, you will make them burn with shame. And this is important. Verse 21, Do not let evil defeat you. Instead, conquer evil with good. How do you conquer evil? With good. <laughs> Jesus made an impact on the world over 2,000 years ago, and we still feel the effects of today. Today, as we, as we come together this morning, we worship Him. Jesus never had to raise His hand. Jesus never had to kill anybody. And you can make that same kind of impact on the people that are around you if you just follow the example of Christ. You know, it still breaks my heart to think about all that Jesus had to suffer because of my sin. And I know that's enough to break the hearts of the worst sinner because I was one of them. So just love people. You can hate the sin. We won't ever compromise there, but love people. Okay? Let's play the next clip. those guys that were being attacked <clears throat> none of them would have to uh, would be have any doubt that the fact that they were in a war they knew it they felt it they saw it all around them if you took a hard enough look at your life would you understand that you too are in a war the one thing that the men at Pearl Harbor didn't have to ask was where to shoot and you also need to to know who the enemy is that's attacking you and so we're going to take some time to kind of go through some of them uh, the Bible tells us that we are at war with three things. And the first one is we are at war with ourselves. In uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, when I say ourselves, I mean our sinful nature. 
He says in verse 17, the, the old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from the sinful nature, what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. Do you understand that? That none of your, your choices are free from this conflict. This conflict. And you need to understand that there's constantly this internal struggle inside of you to do things your way or do things God's way. You know what keeps me in church and what keeps me in my Bible and with, in fellowship with other people? I'm not ashamed to tell you, it's the fear of what I'll do without it. I know that I'm rotten. I've got a rotten past to prove it. So don't make the mistake of thinking that you're enough, that you're all you need, because the reality is you're your own enemy. Number two, the second enemy we have to identify is that the world in which we live in. In 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, he says, Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love, the world, love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear, appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all it's wanting, 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 is on the way out, but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. The world wants you to live for today, to live for yourself. It teaches us that if you're not happy in your marriage, well, just go marry somebody else. It teaches you that somehow that all your problems aren't your fault, that they're your parents' fault. And it wants you to spend time working so hard to get stuff that your children grow up at home, at home without you. And all you have to do is turn on your TV and you can see what the world teaches about sex. Believe it or not, this world is all about the things that are not of God. And this, uh, this world has an agenda and it wants to keep you silent. It wants to shut you up so that it can do what it wants and it can try to drag you and everybody else out there down with it. The third enemy we have to be careful of is Satan. He's real and he wants to destroy you. In uh, 1 Peter 5.8, we see that it says, Be alert, be on watch. Your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. These are your enemies. Watch out for them. Better than that, declare war on them. America was smart enough to see that the attack at Pearl Harbor was an act of war. They wasted no time declaring it, and we need to do the same. You know uh, what they, the, the acts of, of war that have been enacted on your life. Now, after a soldier enlists and after he goes through boot camp, he, there's one last thing that he gets, and that's his, his orders, his assignment. So if you need to know what your assignment is, what you're supposed to do after you commit to the side of Christ, after you get into this, uh, this fight, well, it's easy. It's the final thing that Jesus tells the disciple before he sends them into the world in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our assignment. You know, and I know how intimidating it can be, but if you'll just trust the Word of God, where He says, Jesus says, I will be there with you always, even to the end. You'll be all right. And I want to say that if you're like me and, and, and you've had victories in your life because of what Jesus Christ has done, how could you not share that message? How could you not want to go out and tell the world uh, where they can find uh, victory? Man, I'm so grateful and thankful to Jesus Christ, man. I can't shut up sometimes because 
He took me. I was drowning in my sin and he rescued me. I can't help but to get excited and tell people how they can have victory. But if you're still in a place of defeat, I just want you to know that no matter how devastating the attack, you got to fight back because it was pretty devastating at Pearl Harbor. But what they fought back, okay? Those uh, they didn't roll over those soldiers and sailors. They fought back. And I said it before: if you're still drawn breath and you still are alive, God's not finished with you. So you can fight. Don't quit. Let's watch our last clip. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. It is obvious that planning the attack began many weeks ago. During the intervening time, the Japanese government has deliberately sought to deceive the United States by false statements and expressions of hope for continued peace. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to American military forces. I regret to tell you that over 3,000 American lives have been lost. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. Because of this unprovoked, dastardly attack by Japan, I ask that the Congress declare a state of war. Go ahead. Is there another one? Is it true men are still trapped alive inside the Arizona? We can hear tapping from inside the hole. We're doing everything we can to get to them, but they're 40 feet below water. We've been trained to think that we're invincible. And now our proudest ships has been destroyed by an enemy we considered inferior. We're on the ropes, gentlemen. That's exactly why we have to strike back now. We're preparing an attack against the Marshall and Gilbert Islands, sir, to keep I'm our... talking about hitting the heart of Japan the way they have hit us. Mr. President, Pearl Harbor caught us unawares because we didn't face facts. This isn't a time for ignoring them again. The Army Air Corps has long-range bombers, but no place to launch them. Midway is too far, and Russia won't allow us to launch a raid from there. Admiral? Navy's planes are small. They carry light loads and have a short range. We'd have to get them within a few hundred miles of Japan and therefore risk our carriers. And if we lose our carriers, we'll have no shield against invasion. Does anyone in this room think that victory is possible without facing danger? We are at war. Of course there's a risk. But consider the risk, Mr. President. 
If the Japanese invade us right now, they would penetrate as far as Chicago before we could stop them. Gentlemen, most of you did not know me when I had the use of my legs. I was strong and proud and arrogant. Now I wonder every hour of my life why God put me into this chair. But when I see defeat in the eyes of my countrymen, in your eyes right now, I start to think that maybe he brought me down for times like these when we all need to be reminded who we truly are, that we will not give up or give in. Mr. President, with all respect, sir, what you're asking can't be done. George, get back. Do not tell me it can't be done. Japan continues its military conquest throughout the Pacific. But back home, millions of American workers banned and they're bringing factories to life to avenge Pearl Harbor. <clears throat> Roosevelt says, don't tell me what's impossible. That's very motivating to me. Because I want to tell you what God says. He says all things are possible for those in Christ. America did not settle for defeat at Pearl Harbor. They went on to have a victory over Japan. So you don't settle for defeat. Get in the fight and remember that the only necessity for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Yesterday we celebrated July 4th, our Independence Day. It was on that day in 1776 a small Continental Congress declared independence from the tyranny and oppression of Great Britain. And that was 230 some odd years ago. So today I would ask you if you would take a stand against the oppression and tyranny of sin in your life? Would you declare your independence? And in honor of those people that uh, gave their lives, would you please stand with me for the Star Spangled Banner? Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming Whose broad sights and bright stars through the perilous fight Yeah. 
I would, I would just ask you if you uh, want to get in this fight. Doug asked you to fill out your registration cards. If, uh, if, if it, if you've kind of been sitting on the fence and you want to get in the fight and you want us to pray for you, just write that on your cards. Thank you.